You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. As far as I can tell, you're either a holiday movie person or you really, really are not. I am among the latter, which is why I thought Hallmark only made cards. They, uh, they make movies too, it turns out. Holiday movies. Lots and lots and lots of holiday movies. After having not known this existed, I am now fascinated by how this empire came to be. And once you learn where Hallmark began and how it became such a holiday behemoth, you will be too. Like so much of America, it sprung out of a collision of religion and money and has adapted as necessary, but only as much as necessary to keep the cash flowing. And now Hallmark faces a quandary. Live up to its promise to diversify and risk alienating its core audience or to, well, focus on the family, if you know what I mean, and try to keep printing that holiday cash. Can it find a way to do both? Tune in next year and try to find out, I guess. Or don't. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Sadaf Asan is a freelance culture writer who has appeared in many publications, and she is also a podcaster, the co-host of Frequency Podcast's The Reheat, which delves back in to pop culture phenomenons, including, yes, Hallmark movies, and examines them with today's critical eye. Hello, Sadaf. Hi, Jordan. How are you? I'm doing really well, and I'm about to learn some things that I knew nothing about because I am not a Hallmark movie person. Which is very okay. I think you're actually probably better off not being a Hallmark movie person. Let's start with this then. How did the, like, Hallmark channel come to be? I understand that it has some really interesting roots. It does. It does. I think a lot of people would be surprised to learn. So, you know, you've got the Hallmark channel. You've also got the famous cards, which I'm sure we've all bought at some point in our lives. They're all owned by a company called Crown Media Holdings, which is a very family-focused company. But, um, you know, the channel itself started out originally as two separate religious cable channels way back in the 80s. Over the years, they merged. They kind of shifted over time with their programming. At one point, the Jim Henson Company even owned stakes in the network work because they started to include children's programming along with all their religious programming. And then over the years, they grew less and less outwardly religious. And it was in the year 2000 when they actually debuted their first original holiday movie. Um, And a few years later, they kicked it off with their beloved Countdown to Christmas, which is what we all know now. And that has a holiday movie pretty much every few days. Um, And today, Hallmark even has its own subscription service and radio channel. It's a beast. It's a behemoth. So before we get into how they became such a Christmas juggernaut, I want to kind of make one thing clear uh, for the audience because it's a term that's going to be used a lot today. What do we mean when we say it's a very family-focused network? (laughs) Well, I think this is a good example of coded language. To me, that reads as um, a conservative term that essentially means quote-unquote, being apolitical. So you avoid talking about politics. You keep it very sort of neutered, very sexless. Um, you focus on family values, which in these in this world kind of just means keeping it simple, very black and white. You know, even a kiss is kind of a shock in one of these sh- movies. So how did they get to be 
the behemoth they are today um, from the year 2000 when they unveiled their first holiday movie. Like, they are now, I guess, uh, synonymous with the idea of, uh, not to be offensive about it, Christmas schlock. Yeah, they definitely are. And I think they'd probably even appreciate that term. I mean, here's the thing. For a channel that's all about family values, it began its original content on holiday movies, which is kind of a perfect marriage, I think. Holiday movies are pretty neutered themselves. It's as safe as you can get. So the network gets to push those values through these very vanilla pictures, which makes sense. But it's also a pretty lucrative endeavor. You know, each one tends to cost anywhere from one to two and a half million dollars which isn't much, relatively, and they can be shot in three weeks. That's pretty wild. So they average about 40 movies a holiday season right now, and viewers eat them up. That's what the channel is built on. That's what Hallmark is built on. So it's kind of huge. I don't think, you know, you probably have, everyone that you know has probably watched one of their movies and loves them. Okay, so for the benefit of the few people who haven't, um, we've kind of alluded to the content a few times. Um, But maybe for those of us who've never sat through a Hallmark movie, describe the typical one. Okay, they're all very cheesy. (laughs) They're romantic you know, to some degree. There's always some very glittery snow falling around, and they all are pretty hard to distinguish from each other, I'll be honest. So, uh, you know, you'll have, here's my favorite um, Hallmark narrative. There'll be a high-powered woman, loses her big city job, comes to her small town, keeps bumping into her high school rival, has to save the town from something that might take down Christmas, which of course is terrible. And by the end, these two fall in love because they do it all together. (laughs) I don't know what could be more real. Um, But, you know, they are, it's going back to the family values. They are very sexless, but every film ends with a little bit of moralizing. It's very Seventh Heaven, if you ever watched that show. It's very after-school special. And they're also very white. Yes, and we're going to talk about that um, in just a bit. But I will ask you, you know, they're incredibly popular. um, Yeah. Which isn't necessarily what you'd imagine given the roots you just described. So who's watching them? Besides you, I mean. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's the funny thing. I mean, they have, about each year, they average around 50 million viewers, which is pretty wild. Um, And, you know, their key demo has remained women between the ages of 25 to 54, which is me, I'll be honest. (laughs) The network is almost always in first or second place when it comes to winter ratings. That's also pretty impressive. Um, And they've maintained that throughout the years, and they pull in a lot of money. So that's what their Christmas programming, but also their ad revenue. Um, so according to Adweek, in one year, they can earn about $390 million, uh, and that doesn't account for licensing or streaming. And the wildest part of it all is that Hallmark is one of the very rare networks that grows viewers year by year. That's huh. not something that happens anymore, thanks to streaming. So a juggernaut is not mincing words. And so you touched on it a couple times by talking about family values and about how white some of these movies can be. Can we quantify that a bit? Like how white and straight and heteronormative are they? Well, let's put it this way. So on average, each year, they'll have about 30 to 40 holiday movies. And in one year, typically, recently, they had about one or two movies that would have um, a person of color in the main cast. They'd always be in an interracial relationship, usually with another white person, which I think is another part of their scheme to make it easier to digest, quote unquote. Um, And they also had their first movie with the gay couple last year. So it's really just maybe one or two out of that 
that entire slate of 30 to 40 that actually shows a bit of diversity. So, and you know, when they do do that, it kind of feels like they're just checking it off their list. It's hard to believe that they actually want to make a difference when it's that minimal. Have they ever spoken about that? I know that they've received criticism. We're certainly not the first people to talk about this. And and to be fair, Hallmark's certainly not the first network studio TV series, et cetera, to to face this criticism. But have they addressed this kind of stuff? Yeah, they're definitely not the only ones. Um, So they have addressed it, but kind of by beating around the bush. So um, there was a time a few years ago when wedding planning site Zola actually had ads on the Hallmark Channel, and their ads featured a same-sex couple. But after the ads aired, conservative watchdog group One Million Moms, terrifying, caught on to this and demanded that it be removed. And the company did remove them. And they said in a statement that they didn't want to be, quote unquote, divisive. And that kind of seemed to capture the entire company's rhetoric when it comes to their programming and how they sort of explain it away. Um, I will say a few days later, because there was such um, a pushback, they did apologize and said they just want all people to connect and they want to do better in terms of diversity and inclusion. And also said that they were going to work with GLAAD to try and change up their programming. Has that programming actually shifted since then? Not very much. In the industry in general, who's working on these movies? Who's making them? Are these known commodities? Are these, you know, C and D listers? Again, you tell me they can pump out a movie in three weeks. Um, I want to know how that works. Yeah, it's pretty wild. So they actually do a lot of their filming in Canada. So you'll probably notice a lot of towns in Ontario and Vancouver, very exciting for us, but also cheaper for them to do that. And that also means they bring on a lot of Canadian talent. Um, but they've also become, I don't know if receptacle is a fair word, but for a lot of C and D list actors, that is true. And people who've been very maligned in the past. So you've got Lori Lachlan, who had a lot of time there, Candace Cameron Buer. Um, right now, there's been a little bit of a talk around the fact that a lot of the Hallmark actors are very anti-vax. Um, so they do tend to take on people who maybe would not necessarily get such high-profile work elsewhere because of their controversial views. Hallmark seems to be a bit of a safe haven for them, which is very interesting. A lot of the people you'll see on there are network cast-offs like CW's Chad Michael Murray, Hillary Byrne, people we've seen before, but maybe just did not have careers that exploded elsewhere. It's very much a safe space and a safe lane for actors who just didn't make it. Lacey Chabert being a very big one from me. Girls. This is where all the actors who supported Trump and were uh, quote unquote canceled by Hollywood go. There you go. That's exactly it. This is where they find respite. Yes. I'm really curious, and this is what drew me to your episode of the reheat on this, um, and also just this topic in general, is how does a company like Hallmark walk the line between paying, you know, just enough lip service to progressivism and to equality in casting, while also not pissing off what I imagine is an incredibly conservative-leaning viewer base? I mean, I think it's actually surprisingly simple if you stick with these sort of cookie-cutter narratives that don't have any kind of 
material that could offend anybody. And if you stick with casts that are so um, squeaky clean, very whitewashed, you're playing it as safe as you possibly can. And I think the fact that they have so many viewers and they grow year by year is really all that they need. I think this is a good situation where kind of the money says it all. They're making so much and they're bringing in viewers and it's all growing. So why, what would stop them at this point? I think the fear would be if they started to diversify and go against what their message has been all this time. They think that they might risk it. But I do want to note, over, we've learned, especially in the last few years, whenever TV and film have diversified, viewers grow. And so does the money because a lot of the people who go to theaters are people of color. So it's actually in their best interest to consider this. But I don't know that they're ever going to be willing to change their views that significantly. Are there other options for people for whom Hallmark movies are too progressive? I ask this kind of in the sense that we see with a lot of conservative media, which is when they make a couple of nods towards progress, a a reactionary outlet will spring up right behind them and say, like, we're now the home for the real conservatives, whether it's going from Fox News to One America Network or whatever. Is there... Is there a place that thinks Hallmark is too woke? (laughs) Well, speaking of this, actually, there is one, and it's a very new one, um, and it's called GAC, which stands for Great American Country, believe it or not. This is a new network. I believe it. (laughs) This is a new network that came from Bill Abbott, who was actually the Hallmark CEO previously. He resigned from Hallmark after the Zola ad controversy that featured the same-sex couple. And he went off, and in what should actually be... very own um, Hallmark movie, he went and started his own rival network, and that's called GAC. And on this network, he has already pushed out a set of his own holiday movies for this year. Um, None of them are very diverse. He's got no people of color. He doesn't have any gay characters. And he's also poached quite a number of the problematic actors from Hallmark who've signed contracts with GAC now. So yeah, I think Bill Abbott thinks that Hallmark is a little too woke, and he's now made a place that's even more, I guess, divisive, to use one of their own terms. What about the other side of the spectrum? If these movies are so incredibly popular, and as you mentioned, when studios move to embrace diversity, usually the viewership goes up, why haven't some of these streaming services just kind of tried to take this ball away from Hallmark and run with it? Hmm. Well, I mean, I think Netflix has come close. I think they're trying to do that. Um, They've built up their own steady wheel of holiday movies. So, I mean, most infamously, Princess Switch, where we get to see Vanessa Hudgens play twins and triplets and whatever else is going to come next. And I think they're actually trying to diversify their content. They've got um, a big holiday movie this year that features a same-sex couple. So I think they've taken a look at what Hallmark has done, and they are trying to actually be woke with it. Um, And hopefully that does end up being the case and they do pull in more of that each year. And, you know, we know that that's a massive streaming network. They have been knocking out a lot of movies in general that just follow very basic narratives, are very harmless, um, don't have a lot of depth to them and are kind of sexless in their own way. But they have pulled in some diversity, which is something. So I think Netflix might be the one to watch if you like to consume this kind of content you're more likely to see someone who looks like you if you just switch it over to Netflix. Probably not Hallmark anytime soon. Okay, this is where I have to ask you, 
you like these movies. You watch <laughs> them. You've told me this. You you talk about it on the reheat. Um, I do. I can't imagine you've ever seen brown women represented in these movies. Uh, certainly not often. You have better options, Sadaf. Why? Why? Do you like these movies? Are they good? <laughs> they're not good, right? No, they're not good. They're terrible. They're terrible. And you make a very good point. And it is something that I struggle with. Listen, they're very terrible. But sometimes, you know, you just love a good, bad movie. And you just love watching the shock. And I have to say, I have fallen into that trap over the years. It's gotten a little harder recently because it does get tougher and tougher when you don't see people who look like you getting to fall in love and live this perfect picturesque life. It's a bit ridiculous and it is tough. Um, but, you know, something my co-host on The Reheat, Sarah Sahagian, and I talk a lot about is having media literacy. When you consume art where you don't necessarily agree with what's happening behind the scenes or the people who are involved, it's good to have a sense of why it is the way that it is, how things need to change, and where you can actually find something that's a little bit more related to you and accessible. Um, for me, I think this is not something that I can stand by for very much longer. It's just tougher when you're so aware of the problems behind it. Mm -hmm. What makes me sad is we also have less and less of the really good holiday romances. You know, what about those ones? What about the family stones? I miss that. Um, and I think even Netflix is shying away from that. So that falls into the media literacy department too. I think we just need to be very aware of the content that we're consuming. And if you have that, it's not a crime to watch it. But I do, I would like to see Hallmark develop. And you know what? I do want to say they did hire a new CEO in place of Bill Abbott, Wanya Lucas. And she has said that she wants to try and diversify the slate going forward. She is a Black woman. Okay. Um, so there is potential, you know? I want That's to be progress. optimistic. Yeah, it's progress. So hopefully we see something different in the next couple of years. I think we might. I'm, yeah, I'm being very optimistic. It's really interesting that you mentioned that hire and the fact that that maybe it seems like Hallmark is committing more towards this. And, you know, yeah. you can compare that progress to whatever you like, whether it's very moderate or not. Um, but is that draw coming from the fact that they see Netflix and others continuing to pump these out and getting better at it and, and approaching the kind of stuff that Hallmark can do? Are they in kind of a fight for their market share right now? And do you think that Netflix and others will continue to carve out space from them? Or, you know, is this just for better or for worse, like Hallmark's thing and they own it? Well, here's the thing. So Netflix doesn't release its numbers quite the way other networks do each year. So we don't exactly know how much they're pulling in for these movies. We do know movies like The Princess Switch do very well for them. Um, that's why there's sequels, threequels, there'll probably be more. Um, but Hallmark is still really owning the space because it's built its entire legacy on it and it has done for years now. Um, so I don't think it's about to be toppled anytime soon. I think Netflix is getting there. They haven't built up that um, genre quite that to that level yet. But I think we might get to see a little bit of rivalry down in the future, which I would really, I would really like to witness that. So I do think um, they are paying attention to this. They know that they have competition. Um, but I think also it's a response to so many people saying, you know, we want to see something different. Over the last few years, there's been a lot of backlash to Hallmark. Um, when that ad even came out, a lot of uh, former actors, former producers and casting agents who've been involved 
involved with Hallmark have said there's a, quote, unspoken rule that they don't hire people of color or gay actors. And Mm. so I think this is also a little bit of trying to work from there and make an actual change. Um, I have to say, though, and I don't want to be pessimistic, but sometimes I also think in hiring Wanya Lucas, it feels a little bit just like lip service and maybe they're just trying to do... It's another thing to check off the list, but she does seem to be dedicated to changing things up. So I hope that does happen. If they keep going with this diversity, they're going to drive me right into the arms of GAC's A Very Trumpy Christmas, Volume 6. Oh no, Jordan, you and your family values. (laughs) Sadav, thank you for this. I didn't know anything about Hallmark. Um, I was going to say now I want to watch one of these movies, but maybe now I want to watch like 20 minutes of one of these movies. Yeah, I think you'll get the whole picture just with 20 minutes. You're good. Stay away. Stay away. Thanks again. No problem. Thank you. Sadaf Asan, host of Frequency Podcasts, The Reheat, which you can find at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com or, of course, wherever you get your podcasts, just like you can find this one in any podcast player you might imagine. You can also talk to us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN and you can write to us the Big Story Podcast, that's all one word, all lowercase, if you like, at rci.rogers.com. I am glad that we got to do a holiday movie story. I am now going to enjoy the holidays. I hope you do as well. I hope you stay safe. I hope your family is full of light and love. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk sometime soon. <laughs> <laughs> 